0: To the station of decapitation without your head. I'm Nasty Neil and I'm joined by Chris Alexander of Scream of the Blind Dead, amongst many other cool things. It's uh, very good to have you here. Thanks, man. I uh, appreciate um, you making the time for me. Yeah. So, Scream of the Blind Dead is currently on Full Moon Features uh, stream. We also saw it's coming to Tubi eventually.
1: It is, and it's coming to uh, Amazon Prime on the 27th. Uh, that's in the U.S., Germany, and the U.K. And then, yes, Tubi in January.
0: Right. My mom yeah. calls Tubi Tubi or not be. That's her uh, uh,
1: You know, that sometimes is you're really rolling the dice with Tubi. But this, not to get off topic, but I got to say, when I was a kid, I, I would have killed to have anything remotely oh, yeah. as cool as Tubi, man. Like, literally, it's if you're a horror fan or a cult movie fan, exploitation movie fan, yeah. it is like it is like the new video story you know you just never know what you're going to find where cool weird stuff's going to show up stuff you've been looking for and you couldn't see and it's just and weird made for tv i'm a big made for tv movie junkie no really and uh Oh my God. It's like, I'm obsessed. I collect 16 millimeter prints of old made for TV movies. Anyways. Uh, so I'm always finding something cool there. So believe it or not, out of all the platforms, I'm just like excited to have
0: stuff. I to be too. Cause like you said, there's a lot of cool streaming sites, but th- just that has so much stuff and a lot of stuff that you don't find anywhere.
1: Yeah. And it doesn't, there's no like, there's no deep focus uh, as to what you're, you never know what you're going to get. So there's no deep focus into one thing. It's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Boop, 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 boop. And that's even the horror. commercials I don't mind because when I was a yeah, kid I no, yeah. did to suffer through commercials. It was it was fine, you know, it gives you a pee break. It was cool. So, anyways, that's that's neither here nor there. But yes, to be um later in January for Scream of the Blind Dead. Yeah. Right. Along with my uh my previous Delirium Films movie, uh It Knows You're Alone. They're both going together at the same time. Oh, so.
0: right. yeah have I've actually, seen that. I'm looking forward yeah, to actually it's, going it's, back and it's up.
1: fun. It's more like, you know, all my movies are very similar and they all have very singular kind of vibes in them, but um this one, It Knows You're Alone, is very specifically a quote on uh, Jess Franco mm-hmm. and genre life, like very specifically. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of cool. I even had, licensed some of the Daniel White music from uh, Jess Franco's uh, Emmanuel Tender and Perverse. So, that's kind of the, it's like Twilight Zone meets Jess Franco. So, it's kind of a cool little thing.
0: Interesting. So, yeah. uh, I guess I give people an idea of what Scream of the Blind Dead is if they're not familiar. <laughs> Although, I think if they're going to be into the movie, they probably will kind of know what it is just from the name.
1: Well, maybe, maybe not. So you want me to, you want me to tell you in my own words? Yeah. yeah. yeah? <laughs> all right. So it's, um, it's a couple things. First of all, it's, it's the chance of a lifetime to make a movie with a shambling Templar with a sword uh, doing stuff. I mean, <laughs> I backstory when I was 12, um, you know, I used to haunt the video store like we all did in my generation. And, uh, I always looked for the weird shit. And it was the big box, Paragon videos, big box of Tombs of the Blind dead up on the shelf. And no one ever rented this thing. It was always in. Uh, including me, I never rented it. But I had read about it in Gore Zone. Tim Lucas's column in Gore Zone, but he watched watchdog. And I was like, my God, it sounds amazing. Jesus, wow. And it was all about uh, different cuts of the movie that ended up on one on Paragon. Anyways, I was so intrigued by this thing. And it just seemed so freakish. So I actually saved up my money. It was like 30 bucks used. And I bought it from the... Uh, proprietor and I brought it home and it blew my blew my fucking mind. It really did. It was one of the most otherworldly experiences up to that point I'd had and full stop, cinema otherwise. And I I became like so many of us did obsessed with the uh, the world of Amando Dia blind dead movies. So fast forward to now um I've made a bunch of movies. I've published a ton of magazines and I'm working with Charlie Band at Full Moon for the last several years on Delirium and, and some movies. I made a couple of movies for Charlie. And uh, I kind of started my own imprint uh, as a sub imprint underneath full moon and that was delirium films. And that was sort of like my way to, you know, really kind of create the redux of wizard video, you know, and that was Charlie's label in the eighties wizard video, the big box, where again, it was all European stuff, Jess Franco genre land, weird Italian stuff. And to me, it was kind of a little more avant-garde and I got full freedom to do whatever I want. So of course the second up by a uh, second chance I got to make an, a movie for Delirium Films I said hey How about Scream of the Blind Dead Charlie's like sure why not <laughs> boom yeah we were, in, we, were in, we were in production a couple of weeks later and uh so it's it's one of my if you know my movies you care about my movies it's one of my kind of almost expressionist <laughs> silent fever dream movies all driven by color my own music and along with another composer Aaron Moore and uh, some really cool, weird, crumbling locations. And it's an attempt to meld my sensibilities, but also capture the vibe. Because those movies are vibe movies. They're not, I no do. one's going to, yeah, no one's going to say, hey, man, these are great. We're, you know, right up there with Orson Welles. And no, they're not. we are not looking for that. You're looking for that otherworldly vibe. And they were, they were so singular. So it's an attempt to kind of capture that feeling, especially the feeling I had when I was 12, watching it on Paragon VHS. I've tried to give the film a look. Mm-hmm. Where it feels like like that particular
0: release of *Tombs of the Blind Dead*. Um, not just as you hear, but you definitely captured the feel of um, of the Blind Dead movies. And um, normally, I would say like it's good not to you know not be distracted when you're watching a movie, but primarily that is so you don't get like so you can follow the movie. But this is a different kind of movie, like you said. There's not actually a plot that you have to follow. I mean, there is, but not like you have to like focus on that. But if you're distracted watching a movie like this, you're going to be totally out of uh, out of the vibe of the movie, like you said. And I don't think you'd have the same experience. So no, and that's and that's why I
1: kept them, and, and I did that with "It Knows you Alone" too. I kept the running times really short because we, are, uh, Full Moon, we have our own channel. We have a couple mm-hmm. channels, but Full Moon Features is our channel. So we are creating content on nonstop for this channel. So, you know, to me, these are the way I see these films that I'm making for Delirium films. They're kind of like, you know, Euro trash versions of those season four Twilight Zone episodes that were just over half an hour. They were not quite a full feature and not quite a Twilight Zone episode. They were about 43 minutes long, leaving time for commercials to fit that one hour slot. And they had a weird vibe about them. And so that's kind of what um, these little films are. They don't overstay their welcome. They kind of lock you into a mood and they keep you there. And they, you know, my attempt, whether it works or doesn't, some people seem to be digging it, some don't, that's just the way it goes. But it's to lock you into a kind of space uh, with this girl. You know, if you've seen Tombs of the Blind Dead, the whole first third of it is this girl, you know, Virginia, she's running for her life from a train to escape her past. And then she gets naked and awakes the blind dead. Now we can only afford one blind dead character. So I, I didn't make them Templars. I made them kind of like this weird Joan of Arc fem- female kind of knight that looks and breathes and acts like a Templar, but it's something different. So there is a bit of a plot in there, a little bit of a plot twist, but yeah, you're not watching this to follow point A to point B to point C narration. You're watching it to get trapped in this nightmare land of the, of the blind dead.
0: Yeah. Which, um, you are so the pacing of these movies are very deliberate and they have a certain pacing. And I think that really adds to the, the nightmare feel, the dreamlike feel, because usually when you have a dream, it's not fast paced. You, you know, you can't really move. Right. And uh, the, is there um is that part of the thing that you liked about the movies? Because they're, they're, I think they they have just a certain appeal to them, which, like yeah. you said, they're not going to appeal to everybody. No, you're
1: right. And, and the the slow, the inexplicable out of left field, slow motion is in all my movies, because that was, is how you feel when you're dreaming. You know, I had a reoccurring dream when I was a kid, I would be crossing the road and suddenly my legs wouldn't work and a truck would be coming or something. And I couldn't get across the street. I was moving like molasses and it would just, it would happen all the time. I still get it. There's probably some significance to that. Who knows? Who cares? But I in the first time I saw Blind Dead, uh, Tombs of the Blind Dead, it was like, holy shit, this is capturing that on film. And, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of people who aren't schooled in that world will read as bad cinema uh, because it doesn't behave like normal cinema. And that's the beauty of it. You know, I think there's a book called Immoral Tales. If you know your Euro horror crap, which I do a lot, like I kind of eat, sleep and breathe it. There's a book called Immoral Tales. If I had it handy, I'd bring it out. It's, um, It was before the internet. It was like the Bible to kind of really bring you into the guts of, of deeply weird, sexual, Euro trash, Franco, Roland, all these guys, Amando De Osorio, all these guys. And, uh, you know, there's a quote on the back and I forgot who said it, but it was some pretty well-known artist, artesian guy, like not, not some like knuckle dragger, like a well-known he's up kind of guy. And he, he said something to the effect of, I urge you to look at and look and love and embrace bad cinema because there are moments of, uh, there are sublime moments in the, in those movies that you'll never find anywhere else. And that really spoke to me. And, and that's true. I mean, so-called bad, I hate to even use that word, but movies that kind of fall under the radar, um, you know, you'll find stuff there. You can't find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, there was an attempt with blind dead to create again, recreate what I saw in the original but as with all my movies, to really tap into that, what Roger Corman would call the interior subconscious mind, and to really kind of lock into that Freudian reptilian id and, and make a dream state. Well, we call them fever dream movies, but I mean, everybody said, drops those two words together, but that's pretty much what they are.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, like, it's something you always want to do because you like these movies. Yeah. This, oh, on the yeah. on the, the same uh, the same like length there is it also like um is it hard to to make a, a movie based off something that you grew up watching?
1: No, it's not because I mean this is I think again, if you look at all my stuff, there's always you know moments where like when I direct, I pretty much tell my actors to watch this, watch this, watch this watch, this watch, this watch, this watch, give them a list, so we're on set that's how i drop them in okay just like uh isabel Adyami and nasa the vampire just like the, you know uh you know this 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 and that's kind of my shorthand anyway so that exists in the films and i'm not saying that all my movies are remakes of other movies they're not they're wholly original by and large but oh sorry can you still see me uh no i see a
0: i see a picture we can hear it.
1: drop drop this i'm on my uh, am i frozen am i moving no you're good good, you're good. <laughs> all right all right my uh someone was calling in Oh, I see. Um, yeah sorry uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> where the hell was I? What was I saying? That so oh, was about uh, you. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, was it daunting? Anything. Your Your question was: Is it daunting to basically remake a beloved? I'm not remaking anything really. I'm doing my own kind yeah. of interpretation of that world. It's almost like an impression of it, uh, you know. And I've said that about it. This is not a canon franchise movie. It's, it's just an impression of the vibe I got from watching Tombs of the Blind Dead when I was 12 years old on Paragon VHS. And it genuinely is a love letter to those movies. In fact, we even have Lone Fleming, who is the star of the original Tombs of the Blind Dead, as the narrator of the film. You know, she's in Spain, and uh, she recorded all her lines in, well, in Spain. Wild. I actually didn't so know. that voice you hear running through it is Lone's voice. So it was a way to kind of tie her in as a kind of Greek chorus to what was happening in this picture, but it's still the story itself. I mean, the night, again, this is not a Templar night. This is not the mythology of the blinded Templars coming back. This is a distinctly feminine film and, and she's a kind of a, a female knight. And, you know, I have a backstory in my mind of what she is and how she ties into the protagonist or antagonist, depending on how you view her, ties into her story, you know, it's, it's definitely my own thing, but I think it will still, and from what I've seen, people that love, really love, and understand the Blind Dead stuff are, are kind of grooving on it because they're getting the fact that they've been waiting for a true Blind Dead experience that they didn't get with Curse of the Blind Dead, the previous film that was made in Italy a couple of years ago, which, you know, didn't really, was really plot heavy, was really influenced more the, by The Walking Dead, I think, Mm-hmm. then then than tombs of the blind dead so it didn't satisfy anybody and it was kind of a curiosity there's you know there's moments in that thing that are cool and there's great gore and but if you're a blind dead purist you're not going to really love that movie and people generally don't but i think you might have more of a chance to to get something out of my movie is in linking it to those older diosario movies maybe than you would curse I, I think i hope
0: yeah uh a quick a shout out go girl 311 uh sent 10 dollars uh super chat so if that so thank. Her. Sorry to take you out of uh your frame but no, like to thank I, you I was having a coffee break you go yeah, you yeah. do you. I like the uh the mug by the way. It matches my wallet which I don't have no.
1: Yeah, my girlfriend uh, Ali chapel the actress guy got me that mug so it's it's a lot of it's big. I like big mugs so it's got a lot of stuff <laughs> right. in
0: it. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, you mentioned, you know, it has a runtime of 40 minutes. And I always say on the show, you obviously watch stuff and you can tell it's been padded out to be an hour and a half, whatever to fit this, uh, whatever we think of a feature film. But I like something that just has a run length of this is the amount of time we needed. So it could be five minutes. It could be 40 minutes. But 40 minutes is an odd time. Um, and I guess that's one of the benefits though of ha- of being on a streaming site. Is it doesn't matter, you don't have any uh
1: no, and then if you look at cinema history, I mean some of the great early uh horror films, uh you know, the the original Black Cat 1934 is Black those films barely scraped an hour. Freaks is 61 minutes long and it's one of its incarnations, theatrical incarnations. So somewhere along the line, you know, after D.W. Griffith made Birth of a Nation, then a little farther past that, I mean. 90 minutes became the acceptable running time. And a lot of that was just for commercial reasons for theater bookers to book X amount of screenings of stuff. And, um, you know, but really who's to say what, what that experience is. We're not on streaming. We're not slaves to those uh, expectations. Um, we're not calling this, you know, this is not a theatrical feature film. This is an entertainment that is available to, to watch on this platform. Um, it moves and breathes and acts like a film. It's complete. Um, but we don't have to really obey any of the rules of, um, of the general, you know, expectations for theatrical films. It's not, you know, or even a film per, full stop. So, you know, the streaming market has changed a lot, a lot of that. And, and, and I, I, again, I view these delirium films, movies that I'm making, and I'm preparing another one as we speak. Um, I shoot them fast, I shoot them cheap, and I get them out um and i do everything myself i'm like dick van dyke and mary poppins banging away on every yeah. instrument at the same time i can compl- and then that's it necessity me. yeah. yeah but it's, i can also control it you know, which is really great but i view them all as kind of episodes in a way if you want to look at the delirium film series as a series they are all connected by the same people making them they actually have some of the themes it knows you're alone actually bleeds really effectively into this even the same some of the same locations almost to like it's like you're creating a universe um, so if you look at it that way, it's all part of one big package. You know. Well, what, what's the origin
0: of Delirium Films?
1: How did Plus, it Delir- yeah, it's Delirium Magazine. So when I was running Fangoria, um, and I've said this before, and, and it's, o- it's okay to say it, but the publisher, I ran it for five or six years, and the publisher at the time he really wasn't a good businessman at all. And the ship was sinking for the moment I sat stepped on it. Now, I had complete creative freedom with my run of it. It was great. But the, the guy would just be blowing the money left, right, and center. And it was up to a couple of us running the show, sometimes out of pocket, to get that magazine to the shelves. And after a while, was just like, I can't do this anymore. I'm dying. Literally, I'm, I'm poor. So I had, around the last year of my tenure there, I met up with Charlie Band over dinner. And we had a great time. We'd known each other for years, but we just talked about movies until like 3 a.m. And one of the things I said is, you and I should start our own magazine, man, with all your history and what I do and you know our access to everybody. And why don't we do that? That's after a lot of wine. I went home. He went back to LA up in Toronto. And um, a couple of days later, I was on Monday or Tuesday, I was like, dude, uh, why don't we, uh, let's do that. Let's get this magazine going. Within a couple of days, we had the name. And then, like a month later, we had our first issue. And now we're, we just finished issue number 29. So we had this thing bubbling on the back end of Full Moon and it's its own thing. It's not a full moon magazine, it's a horror film, mag- it's a cult film magazine. Mm-hmm. And, but, but it's my magazine. You know, I target specific types of movies and there's a specific language i write a bulk of it and uh, it just made sense to me that we should since we have our own channel we can do whatever the fuck we want why not just you know drag that brand into the realm of making movies and so we have now it's not going to be just me the entire time making all these delirium films we're eventually going to open the gates yeah and get some other filmmakers involved um you know micro budget independent filmmakers who fit the kind of mold and the vibe of what we're doing but it, it again, it's there's great freedom right now. Charlie is probably the smartest guy I know. He he really is a genuine genius when it comes to this stuff. He's part, you know, he's part Cecil B. DeMille and part P. T. Barnum. And he always he owns his own stuff. He invent on, endlessly inventing. And the fact that we have our own channel to do whatever the hell we want with no restrictions, it's a godsend, you know? So we have our own studio and I'm in Canada. He's in LA. We ha- have a, a studio in Cleveland. We have a, the full moon manor in Cleveland. So we're spread out all over the place. We're a global village. And so there's great freedom to just create. And, and most important thing, anyone can make a movie, but the whole point is you want to get it seen. We can create, you know, I, I shot the Scream of the Blind Dead in mid-October and now it's out. So within two months, the movie's cut, mixed, and uh, it's available for people, people to watch. So we can move pretty
0: quick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we just had Charles on um, a few weeks ago. Uh, yeah, I knew his that. Yeah, First book. Yeah. yeah. And it's funny you mentioned, you know, the, the big boxes, because that's like a, not a chapter, but there's a lot in there about uh, creating the big boxes. And uh, there's, there's so much in that book, because you he, he say he's a genius. He's a guy who's really kept up with the times and is always changing. He
1: is, and this, I'll tell you this, I've known Charlie now, like working side by side with the guy for, for five years now, I guess. And, you know, I, I could write a book just about that experience because it is, uh-huh. you never know what you're going to get. I'm in Canada. I'm in Toronto. So we're Eastern Time. So are you,
0: right? Yeah, right? yeah I mean, Massachusetts.
1: <laughs> oh, there you go. So here we are. So I wake up, say, about, you know, five, six in the morning. I'm a single dad. I got three kids, so I'm up anyways. And I'll send Charlie an email. He'll email me right back. He's in LA three hours behind. It's like, what, 3.30 in the morning or something there. He's up and he's moving and he's planning. And he he just, he doesn't, I don't know. He's like a shark. He just doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop. I mean, John Carpenter said that about him. They said, you know, he said, um, I don't know if you know that quote. He said, uh, after the nuclear war, there'll be cockroaches in Charlie Band. (laughs) And I I, kind of believe that. I mean, Charlie's indefatigable. Yeah. uh, Yeah, he's a genius. And also like his energy levels are obscene, obscene. And he doesn't do drugs. He doesn't do anything. like He never did drugs. Yeah, right. For a guy that, you know, does all these evil bong things, it's kind of amusing. (laughs) That's what I actually
0: thought about. I was like, why are you making these evil bong movies? But, you know. Oh, yeah. He'd
1: make anything if it meant he could turn it back. I mean, that's just, (laughs) you know, he doesn't care. But, you know, he
0: doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't do that. Yeah. Did you film uh, Scream of the Blind Dead in Toronto?
1: Yeah, I film everything. I live in just outside of Toronto and uh, like a little bit more of a rural area. We're at another place called Hamilton. And, and uh, there's a lot of old buildings and old architectures and beautiful fields that go on forever. And yeah, I shot it. I scoped out some really incredible landscapes around here, as well as this beautiful old historic like 200 year old church that uh, we actually shot Necropolis Legion in for Charlie a couple of years ago, which was a kind of a bigger movie. Part of the deadly 10 series that we only made four before COVID hits, it was like the deadly four, yeah. but um, you know, I, I filmed that in the church, so in a way, it kind of ties back into my movies because we're there. But my point is, we have all these incredible locations around here that nobody uses. I'm not right in the downtown core where everyone's running around, I'm beyond that, so I feel like it's my terrain out here. And I've shot pretty much all my movies, it's nine features. Um, just around this general area, I haven't shot a, a frame of footage anywhere else. Well,
0: stuff like that, like the old church, because I, I I liked a lot of the you know the look of everything. Um, were those places you like you just knew of, and like you kind of kept in your mind? Like if I do something, here's something, a place I could film.
1: Well, there's a great place. It's called uh, the Country Heritage Park, and it's just again outside of Toronto, about an hour from where I am. And uh, they shot um, you know Anne of Green Gables, the most recent yeah. incarnation of that show, and Martin Sheen was in it. They shot that there. They shot the movie. What's it called called? Matt Demon where he gets really small. Um, you know what I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, Everyone I, know, gets small. I,
0: remember, I never saw it, but I remember I you know what the I'm saying. all the time when I was at the theater. Yeah.
1: yeah, they shot it there. Basically, it's like it's this huge, huge plot of land that's got all these ancient buildings on it. So, you know, you can go there. It's like a museum, whatever. And, uh, you know, so these big Hollywood movies come in there. And uh, otherwise, it's kind of just sitting around doing nothing. So I shot Necropolis there, and I became friends with the guy that owns it. So it's, it's essentially a film studio, and he gives me great deals, man. And so I can just dive in there anytime I want, grab a building, and, and do what I want for very, very little money. And uh, there's not even, you know, just here's, your, here's the keys, man, and off I go. We, we shot Blind Dead overnight, like everyone had fucked off, and we had the entire run of the joint. It was pretty cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's one thing. And then the rest of the rest of the stuff, you just look like those ruins that are in the blind Dead. There's a, uh, these ancient, uh, mill that has been destroyed. That's sitting all the way in the middle of the woods that I found. And, uh, so we shot some stuff there and, and again, nobody's messing around now. I mean, technically it's running gun gorilla. Should I have gotten permits for this? Of course. But will <laughs> I know why, I mean, there's, we're, we're such a skeleton crew literally for blind dead, there was what four of us we just jump in the van and drive around, hit there, shoot, boom, 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 boom. Okay, everybody get the hell back in the van. I should send you some video, it's great because Taya Munster, the uh, Theremin composer, she's a performance artist, she's brilliant. She built the blended costume and she plays the monster, yeah. but she loves dressing up. So we have great footage of her going into the donut store, silently <laughs> ordering Krillers. uh, you know, playing like the pipe organ, like she just never broke character the entire time. It was fantastic. Yeah. But we were just like, uh, you know, four misfits running around in this van all around the, the area for two days, just banking as much stuff as we could.
0: Did the local people to, get used to you at that time? Like, oh, it's nah, it's so like we're that.
1: so it's so spread out where I am that the locals, you know, I don't even know if they know what I do. It's really mm. weird. And I don't try to I try my best with all my films not to never show a license plate, never show technology, mm. never show anything that's going to name a time or a place so that the film will be kind of existing in its own void, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, you never kind of know, you're know where the hell you are in my movies. I think you're in some place that, that no one shoots at. you know, we have, it knows you're alone. There's an old boat that's crashed into the harbor, an old galleon. We shot there. People go there get, you know, photos for their weddings and stuff, but no one makes movies there. Uh, so there's all kinds of stuff around, around me that we just kind of sneak in and get some shit and leave. It's, 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 it is run and gun filmmaking. And, and it's a lot of fun. A lot of work. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. By the way, uh, Greg Lamberson uh, let us know it's downsizing was the movie.
1: Downsizing. Yeah. Fuck. How can I, I kept wanting to say happiness. And I think that's because when I think, pos- yeah, that's that <laughs> I think of the poster, it's not happiness. Yeah. That's the diametric opposite of that movie. But I think of the poster. It doesn't have a similar kind of like illustrative. I don't know. I don't know. But yes. Ha- uh, downsize. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah. I have. I haven't seen downs. I did hear it's a much different movie than what the uh, the trailer looked like. So maybe I'll watch it at some point. I saw it, and you know,
1: I can't remember a damn thing about it. I didn't think it didn't let, uh, leave much of an impression.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, I wasn't really. It's been out for ten years or five years. So Something. Yeah. If I haven't yeah. seen it by now, I'm probably not going to. Uh, you mentioned the look. It's got a very peculiar look. Uh, your movie's not not downsizing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And because uh, it's kind of not really washed out but it's got kind of that faded look but then it's also got like high contrast so um how did you go about you know capturing the look uh, of the movie
1: well i just shot it very flat very simply on a um
0: again it's mostly
1: shot outdoors that's not true at all (laughs) yes it's mostly natural light when we're outside obviously when we're outside there's a lot of that daytime but the all the night stuff was um you know me with like six lights blasting color here and there and stepping mm-hmm. on the fog machines to blast out the fog and doing it all in one shot. Um, and just kind of lucked out. I've been doing this long enough. I know how it's going to look. And then working with my editor, um, yeah, Aaron Moore, who also did some of the score. Um, it's a Again, we kind of have a shorthand now. It's like I, I show them *Tombs of the Blind Dead. I say, this is how it's, I want it to look. But I also want it to kind of look like it knows you're alone. So it feels like an extension of my movies. And I also want it to kind of look like, you know, Sergio Martino's All the Colors of the Dark. Or, I you know, I kind of give him a list of movies it has to vibe like. Mm -hmm. And then he goes off and does his own thing. So, yeah, I mean, there's I don't work with many people. I tend to work mostly alone, but I do cherry pick certain people. And I tend to work with them ad nauseum because they, they get what's going on in my head. And I don't have to. To kind of handhold too much, you know, Mm. and they sometimes make it look even
0: cooler than I imagined. Uh, Since you do um, most of the score yourself, um, do you think about the score while you're filming? Like, uh, do you kind of come up with it while you're filming the movie? Yeah, most of the time,
1: I, most of the time what I do, and I I had didn't did not do that with this one, but most of the time I write the music first. What I do is I don't usually have scripts. I think I've, I've used script, um, in necropolis and i think the movie actually was we kind of threw a lot of the script away when i look back at that movie i think that movie's damaged somewhat by being slave to a script it knows you're alone sort of had a script only because there was a bit of dialogue but most of the time what i do is i just have a concept um you know the old american international pictures vibe i get concept art done so i have a poster so i know how it's going to f- kind of feel and i know how i want to sell it and then um I find locations. So I find the locations and I kind of create the story around how I feel when I'm walking through the locations. That's the extensive pre-production it's to go up by myself, no one else, and find the locations and just walk through them. Sometimes take some shots, whatever. And then you find the people that you want to, you know, the human puppets, the actors to kind of walk through these locations. And then the story just kind of comes together, you know and uh i don't usually have script what i do is i have a story i have a very specific shot list of what i want i have the locations mapped out geographically how we're going to go what we're going to bank and what we're going to what we're going to shoot you know, you know you're
0: that, not just filming just random stuff and i'll i'll put it this thing together and editing and make something out of it you, you know what you're going to no, film i did
1: that once so i made a movie called space vampire which i went out uh, and i just shot a bunch of stuff over like a couple of days and with no rhyme or reason, and I created a purely experimental, like all my movies are experimental to some degree, but purely done in the edit, and trying to create a story based on what I had, and it's interesting, you know, it, it's an ex- it is an experiment, so, using different mediums and stuff, but again, normally I do make the music as part of the preliminary stage. Uh, with this one, it wasn't the case, I actually had different music, and when I went into the edit, I'm like, this doesn't really, no, I don't like it, so I just went, you know, into my studio, and created something new. And then I had some temp stuff. I gave it to Aaron and Aaron said, you know what, let me try something else. And so a lot of the, you know, some of the really cool stuff when she's just walking through the fields and shit, that's all him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked that stuff. And it, it's interesting because I usually don't surrender the keys. Richard banded the score for necropolis. That was an easy surrendering of the keys. Cause he's fucking genius. Yeah. And to have Richard band score your movies, like, Oh my God. But, this wasn't easy, but he really, he did such a great job. I had to step back and go, you're doing better than I could do. And plus I don't have time. So off uh, we went. Yeah. But the music is a huge part of it. They're almost like, you know, rock videos. And there's a vibe in this movie. I was, I forgot. I was always trying to also capture the vibe of uh, Michael Mann's The Keep. Oh, if yeah. You know, The Keep? Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, in really the church, I was really trying to get the vibe of the, to me, the, the Templar, the blind knight in this is also the Molossar from The Keep. And that's really informed that movie super informed by the backlighting and the, the mist, the, you know, the, the figure in the mist and also that incredible bombastic Tangerine dream score. So that was a big part. When the Templar wakes that piece of particular piece of music I did write, actually I did write that one first and had my drummer Dave Bertrand do his drums. And, and that was deliberately like um trying to mix the uh, Anton of real music from the original with a kind of tangerine dream to keep sound.
0: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, the the writer of the, the, the novel hates that movie. But uh, I know, well, he's dead.
1: So you know, he died. Right? No, no, Is he's still alive. He's
0: on my Facebook. Yeah.
1: Is that Paul Wilson alive? Thank God. Yeah, yeah. Okay, for some reason, I thought he passed. He's been on the show. I know he hates it, but of course, you're going to end up. What writer? Li- I mean, yes. I mean. Michael Mann pulled a Miami Vice on his novel. If you've read the novel, it's a vampire novel, and God knows what Michael Mann did to it. I think they both exist beautifully together. Mm-hmm. One is a dream of the other, but I can I, yeah, I can imagine writing that expansive, incredible novel and then getting back. I mean, no, I think it's only been the last ten years people actually like The Keep. Maybe because no one yeah, can find the key.
0: Right. I remember uh, watching when I was a kid, it would be on HBO or something, and basically nobody liked it, and now it's kind of considered a classic. But it, A lot well, of because, things that way. You,
1: you can't. It's so obscure. I don't think it's ever been legitimately released on
0: DVD. Yeah, I don't, right? yeah, I, I, I. hate to say, it, but I do have a bootleg of it, but only because there is no actual. There's movie. not, and
1: I think all those bootlegs were done off the laser disc, right? So they're good bootlegs, they're yeah, widescreen bootleg. But, no, everyone's been waiting for that. And somebody told me that it's because Michael Mann himself hates it. Okay. He doesn't want to. I mean, that's bullshit. He doesn't own it. I don't think. It's Paramount. Paramount Paramount's been notorious for kind of letting some of their
0: their VHS classics just rot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm curious about the movie you said that, you know, you filmed it then you formed it in editing. I would assume, like, because you said you filmed Scream of the Blind Dead in October. Now it's out. Like, you couldn't have done that uh, with the vampire movie because I think that would take, because you'd have to film a lot of stuff and it would take a long time to. Edit. No,
1: I, I started shooting the vampire movie in like, uh, and it, vampire movies because I'd seen Under the Skin and I thought it was like made for me. I was just, it was this masterpiece. All my movies are kind of like that. watching... I call them walksploitation sometimes because I just like watching kind of iconic women walk through landscapes. I, I just, wow. And that movie was the ultimate walk exploitation movie, watching her just move. And so I started just making a movie with Ally, Allie, Allie Chapel, and, and it poured into this cat suit so she would kind of look like Marianne Faithful and naked under leather. And just walking around doing shit, uh, like she's she is like a space vampire. And also mixed with Life Force, you know, that's another Oh yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big fan of Life Force. Yeah. yeah. I'm huge. And the book too, Space Vampires by Colin Wilson. But uh, so I started shooting some stuff, but it really didn't. It was so cold. And Allie was basically literally naked under leather and she was freezing to death because here we are in, in Ontario and in, like the coldest. Yeah. You think about
0: that, Canada. Yeah.
1: And she's like, gar, 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 gar. so I'm like, all right, fuck it. We'll just go. We're we'll, done. We're done. And then we'd go back, shoot something else. So I had all this footage. and Then I got another actress in, I shot some stuff with her. And it really was Roger Corman's my hero. It really was kind of like a Corman-esque patchwork where I got little bits and pieces together. And then I shot some 16 millimeter stuff and, and had all this really great music that I was doing. And then I just sat down over the during COVID, during the early stages of the, the lockdowns here. I just started piecing it all together. And I really didn't think it was more like I'm gonna create a one-hour art installation. Mm-hmm. And I did create a plot. If you watch Space Vampire, there is a story. Um, but I didn't think anyone would want it. But a company called Dark Side Releasing of West Canada, West of Canada, they put it out on Blu-ray. So an MVD is distributing it. So it's out there. If you want to see it. And a lot of people are digging it, which I find unusual because it's like the antithesis of what a movie should be. It's like a, you know, it is like an art installation or like some kind of weird ass uh, rock video, but it's interesting.
0: Well, let's check it out. Uh, Billy Coyne lets us know that he says the keep is only, was only released on VHS, but I don't know. The- no laser, laser
1: disc too, because that's where that, those boots are coming from. Mostly it did have a hundred la- percent had a laser disc release. And that very brief window when laser discs were a thing. So anyone who's got like a, some sort of DVD bootleg and it's nice and anamorphic and whatever else that's from the laser disc. I know that because the VHS was brutally uh pan scanned, Right. Yeah. So, yes. but, le- but, but Billy's right. The legitimate, the only legitimate, no, no, because the laser disc is legit, but there hasn't been a DVD and no, God knows a Blu-ray and nothing. And it's, and I think that's really built up the myth of, of the keep, but it's, it is the great movie. If you watch it, it's, I like it's it. It's fucking great. I mean, it's it's really stylish.
0: Yeah. I might have you a know? different view because I read the book uh much later, actually, I think just last year. But um you know, if I read the book first, maybe I'd have a different opinion. But I saw the movie years before I read the books. So. Me too. Me
1: too. My dad had read the book. I remember as a kid, and him being terrified of it, and me him, t- him telling me about these vamp- this vampire these vampires, looking at this Bolton. And I was like, Oh wow. And he's like, I can't, I gotta stop reading it. I'm just like freaked out. And it's like, oh wow, wow! Then we saw the movie, and he hated the movie. Of course, he's like, ah, what's this? I loved it. I'm what do I care? I didn't read the book till about a decade later, and I I could see I found it like interesting. You know, the comparison. But same thing with Angel Heart. That's another huge movie for me. Mm -hmm. You ever seen Angel Heart with Mickey Rourke and Robert De Niro? Yeah, Yeah. big movie for me. Based on the book uh, Falling Angel by William George. Book is great, but it's not the movie's not a good adaptation of the book. The book is written like a pulp. Raymond Chandler Noir, first-person narration. Like, I was there on the scene, 1242, that kind of shit. And the movie's not like that. The movie's like a weird, stylish, oozy dream of the book. So I saw them in reverse. The movie first, read the book later. And I know a lot of people that read the book didn't take the movie and blah, blah, blah. But uh, that reminds me of the relationship between the keep literary and film. They belong together. One is a dream of the other. and, And really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, I noticed that with a lot, like even The Shining, the people that I know who don't like The Shining, it's because they love the book and read it a long time before The Shining. And, uh, well, know. I mean,
1: that's, the, yeah, I mean, there you got a classic example of a, an auteur filmmaker doing an interpretation of the text and arguably a better job. Because a lot of King's stuff, as we know, doesn't really work well if you explicitly adapt it to screen. Mm-hmm. There's too much inner voice, it doesn't, it doesn't work. I mean, Mick Garris had a valiant attempt to do that miniseries, uh, which was a King approved, I guess, and was explicit. He wrote the script, and he was explicitly like his book. But you can't as as interesting as that adaptation is. You can't stack that up against Google, yeah, which know. is like the Gone with the Wind of psychological, claustrophobic, psycho and hotel horror movies. I mean, Jesus.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's always a problem with uh, it. Is like. The, the show uh what do you show because in the book it's like the scariest whatever you can imagine That's is the scariest. The spider. Thing how do you define that you know <laughs> yeah they fucked that up both times didn't they yeah you can't, yeah and then i mean, you the mean the, know, the, it's just a the big original, giant, uh, goofy thing yeah
1: yeah at least in the original i prefer the original anyways it I like the actors and i like the vibe and i also like how it pulls back from some of the gore and you don't see georgie's arm get ripped off and all that shit i don't didn't need to see that actually but the spider at least he's real. Like, you know what I mean? He's something moving, but it's I don't know what's yeah, going something on. Something
0: otherworldly uh, in the in the end of the. What well, what I really disliked about the new one was that they took away all the magic stuff, like all the, you know, his bike, the acid, um, and then so then they don't reuse that when they're older, um, which I always thought was kind of the point of the novel. Was you know they have to bring back the magic of their youth to defeat him again. And, but none of that's in it I, I, when they're, no, it's not because years. I
1: guess they thought, I guess they thought that it's too, because the, you know, the original does take a bit of a, goes out for a smoke in the second half. You can't deny it. Once the grown ups oh, yeah. show up, I think it, even it's, it's the not,
0: book, it's not as interesting. No, yet. it's not, but at least the shit about, you know, the ass, all that
1: stuff works better on the page. Yeah. In King's world, that kind of stuff works. It didn't work in the miniseries that well, but it still in retrospect kind of does. Cause the, you know, it's a little bit of retro cheese with the, the TV movie, but I guess they thought it wouldn't work at all in the new one. But I mean, to me, all that CGI splooge at the end of the new one just—I hate the yeah. second half. The first half's okay. The second—I yeah, like
0: the first uh, the first one, but yeah, the second one I was not a fan. It was oh a lot God, of weird. God, I, I, I,
1: I could I, I'm just shocked, sh- shocked by the comic comedy relief of it, and, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, just, it. and then I, I was in the it, theater uh, and everyone's
0: laughing, and it's very strange because they'd have a scene of like. Something like uh, he's killing like gay people. Then the next scene would be this weird comedy. And it's just very strange.
1: It's a weird contrast. And that's a good, that's another conversation about comedy horror. you know, it's such a, such an unholy marriage. It's such a voodoo to get that right, to balance those two, because one deflates the other comedy. If not done right in, in the context of horror, I mean, that's, that's it. It derails any tension or any, suspension of disbelief at all. It's like the filmmaker thumb his nose at you. I mean, we think of the great horror comedies, you know, I mean, you know, we will say that American werewolf returned, let me did all those, because yeah, the horror well, was always show, played yeah. straight and the characters reacted to the horror.
0: Yeah. I always say on the show, we did a whole show, our favorite you know, comedy horrors once, but for the, for it to work, I think it has to work as a, as a horror movie.
1: Yeah. The characters have to believe you would laugh at the absurdity of it. The characters have to
0: believe mm-hmm. uh,
1: that the stakes are high. Even if we're going, give me a break. We have to have an entry point where where this where we think that these people are actually involved in the drama. You know, or else yeah, it's dead.
0: Uh, let's see. Here. Uh, by the way, Greg sent in a question, which goes back to you. You're talking about TV movies, is uh, yeah. Uh, Greg Lamberson, what's better? What's the better made for TV sequel to a theatrical horror film? Look, like what's happened to Rosemary's Baby or Omen Four: The Awakening?
1: Wait, what was my choices? Look what's happening. Look, look what's happening to, to
0: Rosemary's Baby or Omen 4, The Awakening.
1: Oh, Omen! Uh, no, not Omen 4, no. No, <laughs> my, what? No, look what's happened to Rosemary's Baby just because of the pedigree, it's the, the time period. It's, it's one of those great It's a 70s made-for-TV horror movie, man, because those were just like the shit. I mean, some of those were scarier than the theatrical counterparts. And I, I appreciate the 70s. Uh, the pacing of those, the seventies horror TV movies. And I also appreciate the fact that they couldn't show all the, the, you know, the nudity and the blood and the guts and depravity that the theatrical, the theatrical counterparts could, could show. So they found in like a haze code kind of way, like in the early parts of the yeah. cinema to circumnavigate that and come up like Dan Curtis, obviously the master of this shit, but come up with cool things. And that's got, a, I think it was Patty Duke in the Rosemary's baby sequel, right? Isn't it? It's Patty Duke. So there's a good perform, yeah. right? Isn't yeah. it? I'm pretty I sure. So him. there's a good central female performance in there, which, which no matter what you think of that, and it doesn't stack up against Polanski. How could it? But it's still really interesting. And and uh, again, the characters play it straight. Omen four, I don't remember a goddamn thing about it, except that it's the the worst of the worst of them all. And it's yeah, not I, really I
0: remember watching them all again not that long ago, but that one I don't remember too much about.
1: No, I love the Omen three. And does anyone are we? Does anyone like the Omen Three yet,
0: or is that still kind of like no? Like probably, 16? yeah. Probably, I think everything that ever happened is now considered. like, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah There'll be some some steel book of I would. It was. Can you imagine? I mean, all these things that we were like scraping the bottom of the barrels in the video stores for, and you know, are now like deified boutique label releases with like posters and shit, and you know, like anamorphic this, da 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 da. Four K, four K, right I mean, can you imagine? I mean, I guess Synapse did a 4K of Sims of the Blind Dead. But to me, it's like, I don't want to see too much. Because oh,
0: let's no. say, yeah. I don't want to see
1: all the crust and the skeleton hands and like that. I don't want to see all the flaws. You got to wash it out a bit for me. Hey, I, I,
0: I remember um, going to see a, it was almost back to back. I went to see a, a really bad 35 millimeter print of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And it was a great experience. Oh. It wasn't a great uh, cut of it all, you know. But then I went to see it at the same theater they, when they restored it, and it wasn't nearly as good because it was so bright and shiny, and it, took, it totally took away from the movie. Oh, my God. No, you can't. And that's the same thing. I've had this conversation
1: ad nauseum since I was a kid, but, you know, first time I saw Evil Dead on, on Blu-ray, I was like, huh? <laughs> I mean, that movie, like, you know, you need the grime. If you don't have the grime, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You see, I mean, that even goes for the big stuff, like Psycho. I remember when Psycho first made its appearance on Blu-ray. God knows what it would look like in 4K. And you actually see a pimple in the opening scene on Janet Leigh's face. There's a zit. And you're like, sometimes you don't need, Hitchcock never intended it to have that much detail. Right. Didn't want you to see that shit. So, yeah, sometimes, you know, it's in the context of horror, let it rot. And that goes for the Paul Nashe shit, too. I'm a huge Paul Nashe fan, and I crown Dracula's great. Love is one of my all-time favorite movies. And uh, when you see that stuff too clean, it's just eh, doesn't feel like it's from another dimension anymore. It just feels kind of ordinary.
0: Yeah, I mean, it works on very rare movies. I think like um, Phantasm looks good, but um, oh
1: yeah, or Suspiria, or anything where there's a real attention to.
0: Yeah, then it does it stuff, does. like you said. It was intentionally it. you hidden in the shadows, and then you brighten it up too much, and it really takes away from it.
1: Right. Or if it wasn't even intentionally hitting the shells. it's just the way people kind of consumed it. That's why right. it got its reputation is mm-hmm. because it felt repulsive. And as soon as you clean it up and shine it up, and then it's like, it's not repulsive anymore. Now it's your, your aunt Sally will watch it and feel fine.
0: Yeah, and that's not yeah. that's not good. Yeah. Because Texas Chainsaw always has this grimy feel, like you're not supposed to be watching it. And uh, Evil Dead, that's- same way. I, the first time I watched it, uh, my older brother's nine years old. was at a his uh, party with him and his friends, and it was a real terrible, like uh, bootleg VHS. And that's really how you should see the movie. Well, you know, you, you mentioned Chainsaw too. If you're my generation, which
1: I think we're the same, uh, do you remember Media Home Entertainment, which was Charlie's mm-hmm. label, Meetup, then became Media. Um, remember their first release of Chainsaw Massacre? It um, was, try to, try to find it and try to watch it. Now, there is a fine line between grime and you can't see shit. That, <laughs> right, that right. movie was so, that release, it was so dark. You could literally could not see anything. I mean, it was scary because you just heard Sally screaming and a chainsaw buzzing and occasionally a flash of the blade. Yeah. You can't see anything. It is the single worst transfer of a, of a classic horror film I've ever witnessed, you know? So well, there is, I guess, a fine line. Maybe.
0: Yeah. yeah. I, okay. sh- I should have asked if he would ever re-release his, uh, his Atari uh, Texas Trainsaw Master because you could probably put it online somehow nowadays. You know, I don't. we said in Zelerium issue number three,
1: he still has some of that shit. He, he definitely he has everything. Charlie has, you know, people kind of laugh. Him, oh, yeah, Charlie, sure. You get a warehouse of this where it's like he does. He has where he has storage units packed to the ceiling of shit. He doesn't throw stuff out. So he does have those things, but I guess he figured, well, what the hell am I going to do with them? And I guess he doesn't own the rights to a lot of this shit. Like he's halloween. Yeah. he doesn't own the rights. So what's he going to do with it? The licenses are long dead. So he's got the formats and mean, but what are you going to do with it? You know?
0: Yeah. Yeah so uh we mentioned you know movies on streaming um have you shown it at a theater at all and do you ever do like uh either festivals or or uh screen? i used
1: to do festivals at all uh, a lot i mean a lot and especially in the first two greg lamberson is listening yeah a great theme. festival yeah great festival in, in buffalo yeah and uh he screened uh, my first movie blood for arena there and it was amazing to see that thing theatrically yeah, because those movies you know I, I do the sound designs myself too I and mean, they're especially in those first few ones where I was painstakingly throwing in every oppressive sound. I, I designed them to kill you. And so to see that theatrically really was an experience. Same thing with the second one, Queen of Blood. Uh, but I think after like female werewolf and, you know, once I, it was more important to me just to get the films out. Than to play the game of the festival festival grind because well, it becomes a grind you know yeah. and then you have to wait it's like this guy this guy and then you're sitting there waiting Will they take it Will they want well, i was lucky because of what i was doing some people like sitches and stuff would just take my movie just like okay no fees no nothing but you know fangoria ended you start moving to other things and then you're just a filmmaker and it seemed like a lot of fucking work i'd rather the movie just get released and yeah. then after i'm long fucking dead someone can do a retrospective and they can run in theaters and do whatever they want. But yeah. to me at this stage of my life, it's more important to get the movies made how I want them made with complete creative control and get them released.
0: It wasn't to so, say, you know, a lot of people, they go to the festivals in hopes to get a release, but if you already have the, the, uh, the, that's it yeah. too. Yeah. I don't,
1: I don't have, I'm in a unique position where I don't have to necessarily play that that game to make any kind of deals or anything. The deal's yeah. done. It's part of the package. So it's. It, I'm very lucky that way. All my movies have had built-in distribution. I haven't, except for Space Vampire, have never, ever had to go through that grind of trying to um, woo a distributor to pick them up. They've always had built-in distribution.
0: Mm-hmm. But yeah. why I did think about it is the music, because I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people agree that it's cool. I mean, that's how I like to watch any movie, if possible, on the big screen, because it's big. But I don't think a lot of people think about the music because you really feel the music in a the theater. You know, it's yeah. not the visual.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a guy I know in Italy who transfers. I mean, I guess everybody does this, but specifically this guy who transfers any source, digital source to film. And there's a couple of my movies and Scream is one of them where I think I'm going to bite the bullet and get a strike a print of um of that and then that to me is interesting then i'd like to maybe screen it somewhere if you're running off a of print even though it wasn't shot on film i think it would add that kind of part of the film's legacy if the only way you can actually screen it is is on a print and mm-hmm. uh, this adds a little bit more you know i, I don't know i just uh, that's my my dream if i'm going to screen any of this shit to transfer the film
0: mm-hmm. so yeah. um how about the uh the poster art because uh that's what I mean, that, that, that's what I saw first. I was like, oh, this looks very cool. Yeah. Well, the original art was by a guy named Stephen Gilliam. He
1: did the, if you tell me the poster with the giant skull, I don't know if, no, you're not talking about that one. Uh, it no, it's like con- the
0: recent one. It's got, you know. I don't yeah, know the if- girl. And yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: that, that's, um, you know, that's Ryan Brookhart. Now, Ryan is Full Moon's house guy. It has been since the video store heydays of the 1990s. He is uh, like all, everybody in the Full Moon universe. Everyone thinks Full Moon is a big kind of, Right. It's literally mom and pop. It's me, Charlie, a uh, couple other guys, uh, Nakai. Like there's a, there's a bunch of us like on a, a two hand less than two hands is the entire thing. And our art director is Ryan Brookart, and that guy does every single piece of art coming out of full mode, everything. And he's a fucking wizard. I mean, you can just say, here's a couple shots. Here's a couple stills. Here's what I want. Boom. Within like a couple hours, he's got a something for you. And usually it's, First draft, maybe second draft where you go thumbs up. And I think he, this one, and it knows you're alone. I think he he did a f- great fucking job and really captured the vibe of the movie. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. So I mentioned it's a uh, streaming uh, right now, but um, did you film it during COVID? I guess you yeah, filmed I, it in October. Man,
1: it is like, I'm, because I'm like, I was an only child for the first 10 years of my life. And I'm, I'm again, I'm a lone wolf. Always have been. I do everything. Primarily by myself, like as far as creative creativity goes. COVID as horrible. And I, you know, I've had family members die of this fucking thing. And it's been a r- grind. But creatively, it has been a, 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 you know, boom period for me. I haven't released an album and I made three fucking motion pictures that have been released. Girl is straight, Razor knows you're alone. And Scream of the Blind Dead. Plus I had Space Vampire picked up and movie, So four movies released during this period. Uh, so yes, I shot it during COVID. And, and to me, nothing had changed with this from when I was making movies before. Cause again, I've got one, two actors. I'm doing everything myself. You know, I have like a line producer with me to handle some shit with this one. We were had the luxury of another guy to kind of help me with lights, but mostly I don't. And we made sure we, you know, we were all cool. None of us were carrying diseases and we were good. And I've got our, Muscle. our fucking needles and everything else. So we were always on the level, but you know, we can, we, because we're moving in and out of the cracks. It was,
0: it's great. I, I mean, mean, I even in my notes, I, I wrote it's probably done. Uh, I assume that's actually why there were so little um, actors in it, but uh, I, apparently that's how you work anyways. So.
1: Well, yes. I mean, that's one, but the other thing is again, in my mind, the best part of tombs of the blind dead is that first third. And that's when where Virginia jumps the train Just wanders that dead landscape and ends up in the Abbey. So, with the amount of money I had, which was not a lot of money, and the idea was to shoot it fast, shoot it cheap, and capture the best part of that movie and kind of reinvent it in a way that I could see it in my mind, you know. Uh, So, necessity being the mother of invention, I think that that's what I wanted to do. I mean, if I could afford like a fleet of guys in templar costumes you know their budget goes up, up 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 and then it also becomes a different movie it doesn't become yeah. a i actually wanted this to be and this is the way i had kind of pitched it to charlie I said I mean, it's gonna be blind dead but it's going to be like texas chainsaw massacre it's and it's also going to be kind of a western so it's like a slasher western where this girl is going to be kind of dogged by this creature through this landscape and you don't know what's real what's not blah 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 so it really was kind of a two-hander that I was coming up with in my mind, just using the original Blind Dead as sort of the, uh, the clay to mm-hmm. build this thing out. So if someone came to me tomorrow and said, look, here's a, you know, a million bucks, go out and make another Blind Dead movie, then we'd be looking at a very different Blind Dead movie. But for the, the resources that I had, the time frame that I had, and the parameters with the lockdown, et cetera, that I had to deal with, this was uh, you know a neat little, neat little experiment, and I think it paid off.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was happy to see the snail because it kind of reminded me of a uh, night of the seagulls. When you just see the crab walking several times. A yeah. Fox.
1: It's like, I, I'm not in a coastal environment, but there's, you know, there's, there were snails everywhere in this field and it sucked. Cause I'm like a vegetarian guy and I don't kill anything. And I was like, as we're walking, crunch, crunch crack, crunch. Like we just like killed, like wiped out the snail population, in this field. And so I, I, I felt it was, you know, my duty to at least give that one of the surviving snails a starring role in the movie. And also, yes, it does call back to that kind of organic quality of the fourth blind dead movie for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which I saw. Uh, on Thank, the, thanks on the for mentioning movie. the snail.
1: Just, I just like, yeah.
0: thanks for mentioning the
1: snail, by the way, because there are things that Charlie doesn't like. He doesn't uh-huh. like art artie shit. And there, you know, he let me, this is my cut. He never asks for changes, but he'll mention things that he, maybe you should lose. Like, Why is there a snail? <laughs> oh you know, so no it's perfect I, yeah. cool
0: i actually before i even watch it i uh told a friend i was like i hope there's a there's a shot of a crab slowly walking and i was like oh this snail is the is the crab shot for me huh.
1: you, you know it might again and I it also it,
0: it kind of uh you know because it's a slow-paced movie the, everyone knows you know what what these guys and so the snail kind of represents that
1: yeah, and also, I really like the motif, and this is in all my movies, about how nature is apathetic. It doesn't give a shit about what we're doing, all our foibles yeah. and our nonsense. True. It doesn't even kill that like a spectral knight is going around butchering uh, women, and they're vanishing into the ether. The snail's just like, whatever, he's just doing his thing. <laughs> yeah. I like the fact that nature continues, no matter what nonsense we're up to. And That's in all my, all my movies, right? So, you're always going to get those little asides, I think.
0: All right. Well, I like Charlie Band, but I'm with you on the snail. Keep the snail. The snail
1: must, you know, whatever. But you know what's cool about that, about the snail and about the blind dead with the crab? There's no crabs in the other one. Maybe there's a crab in the third one. I don't know. But what's cool about those movies, I did that with my Irina movies, you know, Blood for Irina, Queen of Blood, Blood Dynasty. You take the character, but then you reinvent it every single time in a different landscape, telling a different kind of story with a different message. It's different different dimensions of this character. And those blinded movies are like that. The mythologies change from film to film. Mm-hmm. The locations change from film to film. The ghost galleon is totally different than the first movie, than than the last movie. But it's the same creatures, but they're just reinvented every time. And different so you can get a coastal vibe in part four. You can get the the weird nautical vibe of the the ghost galleon. You get the the whole Peyton Place uh, you know, town in the second one, and the lonely trains and fields at the first. So it's, they're completely unrelated movies really, but still related.
0: Yeah. Um, Billy coin wants to know, do you have the coffin shaped box set of the blind dead? Yeah. It's over there on my shelf, man. Of course I do. It's like,
1: my, it's one of my treasures, my God, you know, you know, what's funny about that. And I got to, I have a bone to pick with the world mm-hmm. because Don may, when he was, I don't know if anyone listening can help me out here, but Don May, when he was released, when getting the synapse version that's impending, it's coming out soon, it's done at festivals, the 4K, he said he painstakingly cobbled together an uncut uh, English version because the only English version out there is the blind, dead one that's basically PG, that's on the coffin shaped box set mm. and widely pirated everywhere else. And the Paragon version, Actually, it's interesting. The Paragon version is called Tombs of the Blind Dead, not the Blind Dead. And the on-screen title is video burned in with the white titles, Tombs of the Blind Dead. And it's uncut. And it ends like, like the Blind Dead version. It, it begins with like the middle part with the Templars sacrificing the girl. And it, it's totally uncut, except for the very end of the train. When they board the train, they butcher the, the kids and everything like that. That, for some reason, is for a few seconds, that's cut out. Like, okay. But oh, when Elvira showed the movie, and it was the Paragon, she had a deal with Paragon with Movie Macabre. She showed that version, removed the nudity, left in the gore, and left in the train scene at the end. So between those two versions of that movie, there is a complete English language with the English dub completely in there of that movie. And I guess Dawn's supposed, like, painstakingly cobbled together version has. Partially subtitled scenes that he had to pull in from the Spanish, and you know, one of those hybrid cuts. And I was just like, "What the fuck?" There is an audio track for the uncut version out there. There's, it exists, but no one seems to know what the hell I'm talking about. I'm, I'm raving right now like a lunatic. <laughs> I even I went to Bill Lustig, and I'm like, "Bill, blah blah blah." Bill's like, well, "I don't know, man. I just it's, it's a movie I licensed <laughs> once. Well, I don't know anything about it." And I'm like, man, nobody cares, man. So I'll just shut up. But no, I, to me, it's like, it's crazy because that English language version is so fucking cool. And yet, it does not exist on any nice, hard media format. Weird. But it must exist somewhere. There's got to be a print. There's got to be. be a negative. has to. Yeah.
0: Uh, Gregory Paul Smith, GPS says, I worked on Evil Bong 1, 2, and 3, as well as Dead Man's Hand, Casino of the Damned. Have nice. I up in Charlie's movies? It was a dream come true.
1: You know, yeah, I mean, it sure is. It's a it's pinch me stuff. You know, maybe when you're in the eye of the storm, it's not a dream come true. But when you step out of it, and retrospectively look at it, you're like, man, that's cool. I walked with this giant. I don't think there's anyone, um, you know, there's there's Roger Corman. Another, here I'm writing a book on Roger right now. Mm-hmm. Roger Corman and Charlie. And once they're gone, who's left? Who's doing what they did? What they've done these past, you know, like half century. Nobody. Mm-hmm. There's no more cowboys, right? There's not. So, I mean, the fact that he got to work with, with, with uh, Charlie making those movies, how no matter their quality, doesn't matter. You know, it's, 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 it's a life experience you should be proud of for sure.
0: I remember when I was a kid when I'd rent a, at the VHS store and I'd put it in the VCR and I'd see a full moon pop up. I'd always be happy. I was like, oh, it's going to be good. Well, I,
1: I was an Empire Pictures guy. Like, yeah. and, and also before that, Mansion of the Doomed and Parasite. I was a huge Parasite junkie. And to this day, I've never seen Parasite 3D. But the 2D version of it is so weird and washed out and blown out. And I was obsessed with Parasite as a kid, man. So I was aware of Charlie. And then, of course, later, Ghoulies reanimated, reanimated from beyond, dolls, all the and stuff. That was my beat. Full Moon came a little bit later when I was starting to get a little bit more into weird shit. And the first few Full Moon movies were great. Then it kind of started to lose me a little bit. And I'll be the first one to admit, there's a lot of Full Moon movies I, I don't particularly enjoy, you know. Um, I appreciate them, but I don't don't enjoy them. But the early Charlie stuff, well, f- oh my god. Fantastic. Yeah, Mansion yeah. of the Doom? I don't know if you've seen Mansion of the Doom. It is one of the greatest horror movies ever made. And we recently, we got a negative and we recently uh, re-released it on Blu-ray for the first time ever. And fuck, if you get a chance, just, you can go to the full moon, fullmoondirect.com pick it up. It's like only like 20 bucks and it's like seriously one of the greatest, scariest, most upset. And it's Lance Henriksen's first
0: movie. Most I'm
1: nightmarish the- horror movies ever made.
0: Yeah. Great book, by the way. Another great book is Lance Henriksen's book, um, Not Bad for Human.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I've never read it. I should have. I love him. He's a great guy. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, I had him on the show years ago when the book came out and he was like, I'm sitting on top. This is before a video. I'm sitting on yeah. top of a stone turtle like at my in my at my pool in my house and I was like, okay. I mean <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I was like okay You
1: mean it wasn't wait,
0: it wasn't video that
1: it was audio. That yeah, was we wow. actually
0: we didn't do video shows until the pandemic um last oh, okay. yeah. And right. then I didn't know what Zoom was. And then um but well, kind of like you said uh you know obviously I don't like the the but um you know I've done some things, you know, uh, that I might, might not have done otherwise. Uh, if, you're you know. cre- if you're a creative person
1: and you're forced, in, you know, I always said that. I've known so many people through my life in the arts. And in Canada, we have like grants. We can get grants for stuff. I know so many people that trip over their nuts to try and get grants. And then they complain that the government's not supporting me, my art, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I'm like, If you're an artist, if you create, if you're a creative person, you're going to do that no matter If you're on a desert island by yourself with your arms cut off, you're going to find a way. Otherwise, don't waste my time. You know, I mean, I I really think this pandemic. Because I'm a silver lining kind of guy, I think it really has, in many ways, really tested creators' metal, and Mm -hmm. for them to find ways. And and we're lucky too because we have all these resources now. If this had happened 40 years ago, I might might be singing a different tune. But we're really lucky. We're really lucky that we got this plague (laughs) now. No, but no, I understand. yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Let me ask a couple more here. Bill, Billy Coin um, Mansion of the Doomed is an amazing film. Uh, yes, early Stan Winston effects. It is
1: early Stan Winston, and Stan was with uh, Charlie. You know, that was the Charlie. That was Charlie considers that his first movie. His first movie is actually a sex comedy called Last Fox Trot in Burbank, which I don't know how people know this. Charlie made that movie when he was a little, like a kid, like seventeen, when he came from Italy with his dad, and, and and it's this like riff on Last Tango in Paris, right? It's a piece of shit. And he made it and he lost all his money. And he was like, he didn't make another movie until Mansion of the Doomed in 76. He thought the movie was fucking lost, right? He didn't even want to talk about it. It's actually edited by John Carpenter under a, name, a different name. So he, he didn't want to talk about it. He's like, I don't want to talk about that movie. I don't consider it my movie. It's my first movie's Mansion of the Doomed. Um, John Krasinski, Krasinski, I forget his last name. Larry, Larry, Larry Karazuski. Larry Karaszewski, you know, who wrote Ed Wood and he's yeah. one of Charlie's good friends. And he does this, some of those trailers from hell. And he found a, a trailer, a 35 millimeter uh, trailer of, of Last Foxtrot in Burbank, right? And so he finds this thing, puts out the trailers from hell. He's like, hey, Charlie, check it out. We're like, oh, this is so great. And Charlie's like, it's too bad we'll never find this movie. I'm like, I- I'll find it. I-, I can find it. So I looked around and I contacted my buddy, John Davison, who produced Robocop. And, you know, did the Voice of 209 Airplane. He was also the head of marketing at New World Pictures with Roger. And he um, is one of the foremost collectors of of film prints, right? He's a curator. He just restored Mask of the Red Death recently. Um, But he helped me, and we found it in UCLA. They'd been there for a few years. Somebody died, and it was an 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 anonymous donation. The fucking negative. The negative of Last box trout and Burbank. It's just been sitting there moldering in in the basement. Nobody gives a shit about it. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. Nobody knew what it was. Anyways, we found it. We dusted it off. UCLA let us uh, scan it, and now it's coming out as a, bl- a Blu-ray. Anyway, that's a that's a deviation. We haven't really announced that yet. But
0: yeah, if you cool. care to see one of the worst,
1: yeah. <laughs> offense, Michael <laughs> Pataki's in it. It's just like what Richard Band is in it. As a, kid. Uh, anyways, it's crazy. But Mansion of the Doomed. Yeah, that was Charlie considers that really his first movie, uh, and so he should. Uh, and maybe it's best, but Stan was with him for that. And then he also did Parasite, too. and yeah. maybe, maybe a couple of the other ones. Yeah, did he do Tourist talking- Trap? No, he didn't do Tourist Trap. No, no. Just, um,
0: yeah. Uh, and Gregory uh, Smith wants to know Are you a Troma fan? I'd love to see a Troma versus Full Moon movie with the two, we, you know, we've,
1: we've talked about that. Lloyd's a friend of, of Full Moon. Uh, it's never, never happened. Uh, will it happen? I, I'm not quite sure. Am I a Troma fan personally? I can't say if I am or not, to be honest, because I don't think I've experienced enough of it to be an authority on it. I appreciate trauma. Uh, you know, I love, you know, a Toxic Avenger, obviously. But I was never a trauma guy. Some of the more scatological stuff I kind of like avoided a little bit. But it's funny, a lot of every time I watch a trauma movie, I really fucking vibe on it because I know, especially if Lloyd's done it. Mm-hmm. Because he's he's an intellectual, so it's like he's hiding all these great messages. Oh, and shit. Yeah, it's like um, you're all, you know, Avengers. It's really crazy, you know. Yeah. I and mean? there are all these crazy things that he, but he hides it under the guise of like a 12 year old kid with all the fluids flying everywhere. Yeah. but underneath, he's actually saying, "What was the what was the great one about the fast food restaurant?" Oh, that, I, th- I thought that was,
0: Yeah, I thought that was his best uh, newer movie, and then um, yeah, Poltergeist is great. Oh, Poltergeist
1: is great because it's fucking smart. You know, there's that old expression: it takes a really smart guy to make something so stupid. Um, he's it's really really intelligent film hiding under that guise. Yeah. Which, that's yeah, like, what I, I
0: appreciate, sort of like South Park in a way.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, and then and doesn't isn't that world tied into the trauma? No, 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 no. Um, th- those boys never came. Well, no, trauma just released. Oh, music.
0: oh, yeah, with a uh, candle. You know, they weren't music. creatively
1: involved. No, they were yeah. creatively funny. Yeah.
0: yeah, I don't think th- I, I don't think they're happy about about how that came I'm not sure but
1: probably not no one's ever happy when they really uh, get anything released by trauma big party like that are they no i always never make anyone,
0: anyone. i always get one or two answers anytime <laughs> i've talked to anyone who worked with uh, trauma it's either you know they've terrible experience or you know they actually had a great experience it's never anything like oh it was okay or yeah, it's it's one extreme or the other well, i think, I, you know, I personally think it depends on what they think going in if you think you're going to exactly. become rich or whatever or if you go into it like I'm doing this for the experience. I know people who said it was their own film school. They went and they didn't get paid and they had to sleep on like a like the floor and stuff. But they learned how to make a movie just being on set. So.
1: Of course. And that's the same thing with Roger, same thing with Charlie. It's this you know Lloyd is up there too. Uh, yeah, it's it's definitely based on your expectations going on or when you license the film to them and you think it's going to yeah, be I
0: think that's a little something, something huge you and appreciate. you get
1: fucked over. It's like, dude, if you're making that deal with the devil, you know what's going to happen.
0: You're I think they're pretty story. upfront with it. I mean,
1: I think they are too, you know, and like George Romero used to say about Night of the Living Dead when they got fucked over with the copyrights. And he's like, well, it's the one that got away, but it's the one that, you know, gave me a career too. So I don't get a nickel from it, but if it didn't exist, I wouldn't be sitting here making these movies. So it's the one that got away. So you got to kind of look at it. Those kind of deals as, as your film school. And when it goes, you're not expecting to profit monetize it. It's just, you're just looking for the exposure and what better way to be exposed than, um, than via something like trauma for sure. Yeah. yeah. But as far as like me being a personal fan, I can't say on a Sunday afternoon, I pop up a trauma movie or something. It's I'm not a huge fan in that respect. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, by the way, when you said about TV movies, uh, is it just, uh, horror TV films or no, it's all
1: TV, TV movies, you know, because you can find these great casts. You know, I again with TV stuff, it's writers, actors, either on the way down or on the way up, and sometimes you get, especially during that period of the seventies when they were pumping, and the early eighties too, you get some fucking amazing things. And I really, I have a great sixteen millimeter collection of movies that never made it to video. You know, Diary of a Stripper. Um, you know, I got a great one with William Shatner called Confessions of a Married Man. And it's from 83, 84, and it's Shatner, Civil Shepherd, a bunch of other mother, oh Michelle Phillips, but it's he's like a he's a sex addict and he just cruises around LA picking up hookers and he gets VD. And it's like it's crazy shit. It's a cra- and then he has to fight a killer pimp. It's nuts. Like it's the most unsavory, disgusting exploitation movie. It's beautiful. But um, yeah, so I love shit like that, especially if it's been. You know, TV movies never got any respect. They were just movies of the week, product, fodder, and yeah. then they were forgotten about. But when you retroactively look at some of these things with their production values and, and the their caliber of acting and, and writers and directors, some of them are really, really great.
0: Well um I talked about the theater I saw um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they showed Duel in thirty five millimeter, and I, I didn't I don't know like how that existed because it was made for TV. But well,
1: yeah, but the thing with Duel is that yes, it was you know Matheson, it was he had just done Night Gallery and Spielberg, and and it was made for TV. Yes, but the execs said, "Fuck, this thing plays," so they gave it a theatrical run. Mm-hmm. So one hundred percent, they they struck prints and it, it rolled through theaters, Matt. It it go?
0: I love that. I grew up while, while loving that movie, but it was weird watching the theater because it still has like... It's out? Yeah. where when, yeah, oh, then really? it, it doesn't go into anything. Yeah, it just comes oh, back. That's, right?
1: that's weird because I would have thought that theatrical print would have cut the uh, fade ins and outs out of there. Maybe, I guess not.
0: Yeah, it was like you could tell like, oh, it's going to go to commercial, but then it just, you know, picks back up. So it was kind of Well, weird. you know,
1: when you watch like, um, you know, for instance, Salem's Live, which is one of my favorites, you see the miniseries, which is if you get that on whatever it has all the fade-ins, fade-outs, but yeah. I actually have, and you can only get it on VHS, but it, you know it was cut into a two-hour movie, and it was released in Europe theatrically, and uh, it's much. There's actually been different scenes, like Larry Crockett instead of putting the gun near his head, he puts it in his mouth, shit like that only exists in this VHS version. But there's no fade-ins and out. They actually made an effort to cut it and present it like a feature film yeah. with anything to give away the I fact think- that it was TV. I'm surprised I- it's a Duel to that.
0: I'm not sure where it is. Oh, it's actually right behind here. I have the VHS Salem's Lot there. So, so do I. So do
1: I. It's, it's, it's up on there. Can you um, see it? Can you see it? it's right there?
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah anyways. Mine's. A, I got the clamshell here. He's, it's behind the nice. uh, Universal Monster guys. <laughs> nice. And then I've got Barlow Candle over here. I love yeah, Barlow. I think
1: I'm I gonna put. Him. I think I'm gonna put. I have a great interview with Toby Hooper that I've never published about Oh really? The other, and I think that's gonna be the cover of the next issue because uh, then I can get Barlow on the on the cover because I just yeah. I fucking love Barlow.
0: Oh yeah, that's one of the greatest visuals. Actually, you know, since I watch horror movies since I was a kid, like not to be like I'm a tough guy, but like nothing really like scared me just because I. You know, I was used to it, but that's one thing that always scared me. Was in the, the old monster magazines were images from um, Salem's Lot, especially the little kids outside the window. I always thought that was very. Scary. Oh
1: my god, and the images, but in the movie. Oh I, mean, yeah, I don't yeah. care. You watch that movie today, and I've seen it a million times. The way they reverse photograph them and put. I mean, that shit is some of the scariest, and I've seen how many filmmakers try to emulate that and self consciously, consciously saying, "Yeah, I was influenced by Salem's Lot." No, you can't duplicate that. It's something about the way it looks, the vibe of it, that music. That is one scary-ass freaking movie. It still scares me. And Barlow, I mean, of course, he's Max Schreck, but Reggie Nalder had that face that was already kind of tailor-made for that, you know, the sunken cheeks. and When he does those first appearance, when he first sees his face in the jail, oh, my God. Still, even though I know it's coming, it gets me, man. He's one of the scariest vampires ever.
0: I agree 100%. Uh, Billy Coyne, any news on Celluloid Wizards documentary?
1: I don't know. It's nothing to do with us. That's, um, oh my God, great guy. I'm, gonna, I'm getting old. I forget the, the gentleman's name who made it. But no, I don't know what he's doing with that. Everything's shot. I mean, he's been making that since Christ was a carpenter. So he shot acres of footage. So that's all in his, in his hands. What's his name? Daniel? Sure. Valley, who's his company? Daniel <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening with it, you know I have no no clue, but Charlie's part's done anyways. he's shot all his stuff, and all the same thing with all the alumni. Yeah, unless there's still more people that he wants to, I mean not how far he's going to go. I don't know what the end of that movie is. Is it just Empire Pictures? I think it is, right? I think it's just Empire. Or does it go through mm-hmm. full moon too? I'm not sure I don't know I don't really know I don't know time. man. Sorry, no updates. I, I have no idea. I'm sure that guy gets asked every day what the hell's going on with that.
0: Movie. <laughs> I guess yeah. it'll come when it comes. Yeah. Well, something like look forward to then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Scream the Blind Dead is on uh, Full Moon Streaming. It is. So People should check it out.
1: Yeah. You know, if you get a Full Moon Streaming, so I just got to people that might not know. Sure. It's not just Full Moon movies. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like, because Charlie owns almost like, you know, like 90% of his catalog is from Full Moon. Actually, maybe he owns everything from Full Moon, nothing from Empire. And then he owns the stuff prior I to I think Parasite. that was the
0: big part of the book was, you know, he learned from that yeah, right. mistake. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So he's been trying, you know, we kind of have that, we backdoored it with the Empire Box Set. You remember that a couple of years ago? Yeah. Made that deal with with Shout Factory. They wanted to license um, Laser Blast for 10 years for Mystery Science Theater, but for less money. And Charlie said, okay, well, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to renew my license for this for 10 years. For less money and more time? What do you He goes, How about we make this? You give me spindles of all your Empire Picture Blu rays that you've released. Just give me the spindles. I don't need the packages. Just give me the discs and let me release them through my my store how I want to release them. And they said, Sure, great deal. He goes, And no money. So that's how we created the Empire box. And then we just created that box, new packaging, everything. Those are the Shell Factory Blues. So, um, yeah. What was the question? Oh yeah. So it's not just oh, yeah, yeah. shit on feces, yeah, yeah. man. We have licensed tons of stuff. It's like original stuff that we're doing now, but also tons and tons of, of Euro horror stuff. So if you're a fan of like, we have stuff you can't find anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, we've working with like variety films in Italy and getting negatives, 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 like really beautiful remastered prints of of crazy ass You And we were the first guys to release, you know, a totally uncut, remastered HD version of uh, Paul Nashie's um, The Hanging Women under the title Orgy of the Living Dead. All that stuff's on Full Moon Features, man. There's some wild shit. And on our Full Moon Amazon channel. So, And it's really cheap to subscribe. And Charlie is such a huckster that if you subscribe, he gives you free shit. I think it's like the deal is maybe now if you subscribe for a year, you get your choice of like 10 Blu-rays or DVDs from the store. So there's all kinds of reasons to, to subscribe. But if you don't want to do that,
0: uh, Tubi next month for, for free so there you go yeah very cool and um would are you gonna ever do merchandise like shirts or anything with scream of scream the blind dead
1: well that's all up to charlie i'm not gonna go out of pocket for that it's, I, understand, is, yeah. I
0: understand I yeah. understand. but
1: yeah i mean that'd be cool i could i could throw that by him i mean but there, there will be a blu-ray for sure it's oh
0: point. very good yeah
1: um so at least we'll have something physical but yeah that poster does belong on a
0: pretty cool yeah it's very cool i like the font too the font really uh striking it comes yeah that's up. this
1: guy this guy stephen gilliam who's a genius designer he came up with that font that's why i took it and i put it in the movie itself i'm like i can't just let this rest on the poster it's got to be in the film
0: yeah so i notice fonts I, a lot because sometimes the fonts you, they don't stand out but it, it works great i, yeah. I like I agree. yeah and how can people follow you to see what you're up to oh
1: you just go like your around. home but- yeah, uh, chrisalexanderonline.com has all my uh, links to films and music and and news and, and crap like that. I'm not on Twitter. I despise Twitter. I'm I despise a, social uh, media, but it's a, it's a necessary... You have to stuff. have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to. So I'm on Facebook. Just look me up. And uh, Instagram for sure, too. I think it's chris underscore Alexander underscore films. Maybe. I think. I think that's it. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook, not Twitter. So don't look for me there. You won't find me. No. But chrisalexanderonline.com is, is kind of like all the what I, what I produce. And then delirium magazine.com is for the, the magazine. You can subscribe if you were so inclined or buy individual issues. And so one more thing. I think there is. Oh, I, I um, you know, I have a rotten tomatoes approved, whatever the fuck that means blog called Alexander on film.com. That is a lot of my essays on called films. I only review movies. I love because I did that before when I was shit talking movies. And as soon as I started making movies, I said, what am I doing? And then I stopped doing that. So I only talk about movies I love.
0: I actually like that because, uh, honestly, what is a bad review, especially for an independent film? Like, it doesn't do anyone really any good. It doesn't well, do for it anybody. Any it for- doesn't really do the, the website or the, the blog or any good.
1: Well, when I first started as a film critic when I was a kid at Room Org magazine and shit, because I wrote for them for many years, had a column, and you know, you end up using so called these movies bad movies as fodder for jokes and right. it's so irresponsible it's so snide and, and slimy and and i really regret doing that but you know you do what you do and you become what you're going to become but also when it comes to the horror shit one man's trash is always going to be another's treasure so you better shut the fuck up because it doesn't matter what you think uh you know if you hate something there's going to be someone out there that loves it and it really won't matter what matters is if you did love it you can analyze it and preach you know, I consider myself a teacher and a preacher. It's something that I love. I want to make sure you know about it and you're going to love it too. And if you didn't love it, watch it again, because this time after reading what I wrote, maybe you will. You know, yeah. that's kind of my, my beat.
0: I was going to say, you know, doing the show, I get so many screeners and like a lot of stuff is just, to me, what's the worst kind of movie is something that's just really like run of the mill. It's just, like someone just made something to make something and it might be technically well-made or something, but you know, you could tell like it, they just made it for me but um, when something is good and stands out, you really appreciate it more. And it is fun to you know have the show on a platform to to hey you guys should check this out you know.
1: Yeah, no, and, and I'm with you too, man. I'd yeah, everyone says it, but give me the when I was a kid I had the Leonard Malton book. I'll leave you with that, but that was my Bible, you know. And I looked for two things. I looked for the four star movies and the bombs. Anything else?
0: Yeah, who, who mm-hmm. cares? if yeah. It's like, eh, hey, whatever. Yeah, the three
1: star, the worst of the three star movies. You know, then then you get the Don Juan Marcos and shit like that, like who cares about that stuff? You want the stuff that's supposedly so horrible you shouldn't watch it, and almost every single time those bombs when it came to horror were uh, some of my favorite movies: zombie, blood and lace, shit like that. I mean, so yeah, I, I prefer polarizing shit to yeah. package pablum that is made for everybody. Yawn. Yeah, you want that end, you
0: know i agree 100 yeah. Yeah. this has been very fun and i would love to do it again sometime
1: anytime man just uh, give me a shout it's covid now we're going into this uh fucking omicron or whatever the hell it is so i'll probably be sitting here at this table and you know, for a long time so anyways <laughs> I'm, I'm always around and thanks right. thanks for uh thanks for the window to promote the film i really yeah, appreciate because i really like the movie and I, I hope people get a chance to see it i think it's a neat little piece of work
0: no, I really liked it too. It's uh I'm honest, not just because you're here, but it really captured the feel of those kind of movies. And like you said, it's also original and there is, you know, like a twist. And it's, it was just the, it was, it's weird to say it's fun to watch. It was interesting to watch.
1: Yeah. It's just a neat little
0: bit of style and sound and
1: fury. And then if you're a fan of Blind Dead, you'll get a little bit extra something, something out of it. So
0: cool. Yeah. And I say, watch it. Put a, you should do this for anything you watch, but put away your phone and just, uh, you turn the lights out and just the, uh, Get immersed in the movie.
1: Yeah, it's 40, 40 minutes, man. It's like, you know, if you can't yeah, it's not focus screen, you know, yeah. Just focus for 40 minutes, then you're you are truly doomed, sir. So, right. Yeah.
0: Don't watch it on your phone. You know, watch it. Uh, if you can, stream it on the big screen or uh, on your oh, laptop. You, you can watch it on your phone. Just put the phone really close. That's There you, know, there you go. You know, that works. That's, that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah, yeah. kill your eyes. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Very cool. Thank you. All right, man. Thanks very yep. much. Have a great night. You okay. as well. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. You- All that shit. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.